Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Dad Pod Season Four, Season Three, Season Three, we're episode, not there yet. Episode Four. I'm Osha Gisberg. This is Charlie Clawson, and we are actually we're actually in the same room. I need to sit a bit further away from you yeah. because otherwise I can't see you because my eyeballs and might, we'll have, to, might have to lift that up onto the mics. carpet. Yep. Can, uh, I know you've got there. We go. Two men in singlets and shorts. It's good to see you. We haven't it's been good face to, to be face. Here. We haven't done this face to face in. We're in Osha's home studio, season uh, one, which looks like the set of a cheesy '70s sci-fi film. It's supposed to be. You should actually turn all, all the streamy lights on. I've got streamy lights that I bought at eBay, and they're they're purple and and LED. And they're fabulous. There's a button here that makes one of them work. I think the baby was in here earlier. Oh, it's too bright. Yeah. I guess this qualifies as a man cave, uh, doesn't I, it? I don't know. There's no signs on the wall. No. Does, don't man cave need signs? I don't know. I think man cave needs like toys that amuse only men. So whether that's like PlayStation or sports on the TV or you got a guitar, you got you got some artwork and you got, you got all your bloody Twitch stuff. All the, all the camera Does that shit. count? This is actually yeah. more like... A millennial nerd's room. That's more <laughs> like it. Yeah, that's that's probably that's probably more like it. Yeah, like this is the kind of room where your parents should be banging on the door to say, "Can yeah. you please go outside and play Osh? It's well, a beautiful day. Yeah, <laughs> go outside, get some sun." We designed this room so I'd be able to work. That is podcast and do I do a lot of voiceovers and stuff? Uh, you know, Bondi Rescue and, and Bachelor and things like that. I thought this is great because then I'll be able to do a lot of this work from home. I won't have to go to studios all the time and I'll bring up a lot of freedom around movement. Stupidly put it directly under the baby's room. So uh, the baby is right above us and this right. is a house from a long, long, long time ago. So there's absolutely no insulation. Right. So if we laughed, if he was asleep right now and we laughed too loud, we would wake him up. Well, I think that's only fair. I think that I was actually considering bringing Iona around today because I'm like, we haven't had Iona on the pod since season one, and we've had Wolfie make an appearance this season. Maybe yeah. like, because we could be lying. For all people know, yeah, all our, baby, our babies are just deep fakes. <laughs> our social media is all a construct. We're just trying to find a way into the market, but we really have children. And I know that better than anyone else, because this couple of months has been very tough for me with Iona. I used to be the settler. Of Iona. I used to be the one that Jen would say, Can you go in because she just relaxes with the you? The nap wizard. The nap wizard. But something has shifted. Like mm. it's ebbs and flows. I understand that. But she will not settle with me anymore. And it's not that I'm taking it personally, as in she doesn't like me. It's just frustrating that I used to have this power yeah. of being able to get my daughter to go to sleep. Now it's the opposite. Today, before I came around, I tried to get her down for a nap. She, like a front rower, just had her arm extended full length under my chin, pushing my head back, refusing, refusing to be nursed, refusing to listen to a bar bar black sheep. Nothing works anymore. Damn, that must be frustrating. It's very frustrating. Because not only can you not let the baby, I don't mean, it, when it's me that that happens to, not only are you like, oh, a baby can't get to sleep, it's like, I'm letting the side I'm letting down. everyone down. Letting the side down. I told my wife I'd got this. Yes. I told my partner I'd got this. And all she can or he can hear in the background is baby not settling, yeah. them not being able to do the thing they thought they now had time to do. Yeah. And the pressure just builds and builds and builds. But let's go back to a time when you were the ninja of naps, a time right when Well, you- it's more a time when the, the world was filled with potential. Potential. There was nothing written yet. It no. was the baby has been born. Yes. We're ready to leave the hospital. It's a world of possibilities. I, I remember getting Wolf home. I remember going downstairs. What I, firstly, what I loved was we got to stay in the hospital for about three days, which they just kind of basically wanted to see that we had a good routine going in that order. He was, he was able to latch on and he was able to breastfeed. Not everyone can breastfeed. And if you can't, they want to make sure that you're able to sustain your baby nutritionally and teach you how to do that. And they wanted to make sure we had a couple of the basic skills going. Those three days were just, just miraculous, man. I remember it so clearly and it was just there's a there's a funnel cake a tunnel cake what's it called no chimney cake place near here which is basically a circular spiral donut called okay. kurtosh I'm listening yeah dude you I can't eat it cuz I'm celiac and vegan and it will kill me but it's basically a donut filled with nutella wrapped around a stick shoved mm. in an oven okay. dipped in sugar water and then rolled in cinnamon and I just would walk up the street and grab a couple of them come back down Give them to Audrey, eat some Soul Burger, some, you know, vegan hippie burgers from up the road. And we'll just watch this baby sleep and wake up and eat and feed and go back to sleep. Sounds and amazing. It was incredible. And uh, we got great naps. It was great. But then we had to go home. Yeah. And I, I remember bringing him upstairs to our apartment, just going, what, 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 
what do we do now? Yeah. The, the, what? It was really... It's, it's all well and good to be confident when you're in a, a building surrounded by professionals. <laughs> With a button on every horizontal surface that says, you know, push this and a crash cart will come through the door and a, little, a siren will sound and people will come to save you. So before you even left the hospital, what was your experience of like actually, uh, you know, taking, knowing that you, they've done all the checks, Wolfie's ready to go, yeah. so you got to get the car and get home. What was that trip like? Very slow. Right. Very, very slow. Well, thankfully, the streets from here to there are quite dense population-wise. They're very kind of- You're not getting on a freeway or No, no, no. And it wasn't peak hour. Um, We left in the morning after he had a nap so we could get back on the next cycle and put it back to sleep when we got home. And then we brought him upstairs and I, you know, Audrey fed him and put him down in in his little cot for the first time. And like, what happens now? She goes, we just do that every three hours for the next month. And, and and that was it. Very quickly, though, I had to learn how to, to swaddle him because what babies don't quite get is that they're no longer in the womb. And this is something I, I learned from a, a book called the, F- the Happiest Baby on the Block, Dr. Harvey Karp. And he talks about the five S's of sleep, which are, oh, God, what are they? I just Shushing. Uh, yeah, they are. Swaddling. Yeah. I think I remember. Yeah, no, swaddling on the side. Shushing, swinging them, and they they want to suck on something. Suckling. So in the same way that if because basically all you're doing is you're turning on a reflex because we all have this reflex. So we have a, a parasympathetic reflex right now. Like if I start scratching, you'll scratch. All right. If I yawn, you'll yawn. If in some instances, maybe when we were younger, if I start to vomit, you'll maybe <laughs> want to vomit. Because if I had eaten something poisonous, you would want to vomit it up too. All okay. right? So there's a few things that we do if, that will just make our body do stuff, right? Yeah. You can trick the baby's body into, oh, I'm relaxed now. So the first one is to swaddle, which is basically wrapping a baby up like a burrito mm. or a, a little f- table napkin. So their so- hands are down by their sides because they have a thing called the startle reflex that can you know, they'll, they hear a noise or whatever and their hands will fling up and wake them up. So if their hands are by their sides, they can't do that. Putting them on their side or their stomach, their inner ear is uh, uh, just getting used to being outside because they haven't really been upright their whole life. They've kind mm. of been on their side or upside down. So putting them on their side or on, the, on their stomach when, you, when you're holding them also gets them down. Shushing them. Now, this is really interesting. Every language, nearly every spoken language on earth, the word to make a baby be quiet or the word to try and help a baby relax has a shh sound in it. Japanese, Hebrew, you name it. It's extraordinary linguistically because that shh sound, if you remember when they put the monitor on your wife when she was, that's the sound of the inside of the womb. It's the blood rushing. It's a shh sound. So that reminds them, oh, it's I'm here. Then think about what they were rarely ever still because your wife's always moving around. She's walking, she's getting up, she's rolling over in bed. So the, the rocking motion is to simulate that. And then the, the last thing is to they have a, a reflex where they do kind of want to feed. So I would use the little finger, the first knuckle of my little finger. So if I swaddled him, put him on his side, put him on my lap, laid him on the tops of my thighs, rocked him back and forth, shushed him, and then put my little finger in his mouth, within three minutes that boy would stop crying and be asleep. And to be able to have that up my sleeve was like, man, I was like David Blaine. (laughs) I was like Penn and Teller for Audrey because it was able to be like, if she needed a rest, she's so tired, she's feeding all the time, giving to me, she knew that I would be able to do that. Letting her know that I was able to do that. Mm. For a start, I was thrilled that I learned how to do it because I was fucking lucky that it managed to happen. But (laughs) it it stopped working after a while. But for the first couple of weeks, it was super, super handy. I was never any good at swaddling. That's one of, to my great shame, I never quite mastered it. Gemma was very good at it. I'm also someone who can't really wrap presents very Ah. well. I just don't know if it's like a spatial awareness thing or a coordination thing or a prestidigitation thing. I just find it hard to do those little finicky movements and, and just I can't keep the tension in the wrap we're getting it around but Jem was excellent at it I had to suddenly look for other things that I could do to contribute so something yeah. that you might want to discuss with your partner before you get home is the roles you can play because your wife yeah. or your partner is going to be feeding this baby every three hours and especially nighttime routine this is where you can pick and choose where you want to help now for Gemma and I, Jem, after a few weeks of this, Jem said, you know what, I think it's much better if I just, in the middle of the night, 
take care of the changing the nappies and the feeding and you sleep that way in the morning. You can take over, you can look after the baby and I can have a sleep in and catch up on sleep that way. Every couple is going to be different. But you need to have that discussion up front because sometimes, you know, it, it, you can really help out by the baby wakes up, you can take the baby out, change the nappy, get everything prepped, get your wife nice and comfortable and bring the baby back for feeding. And then work out what you want to do while your wife is feeding, whether you want to go back to sleep or if she needs more support, maybe a nice cup of tea, Osh, if you want to bring a cup of tea into the room, keep it well away from the baby, but you know, a cup yeah. of tea just to rehydrate. It's really important to have that conversation beforehand though, because these things don't work out themselves. And you're not going to have, and you're not going to have the most coherent conversation God, no. at 3am when you when are working this out. So, no. And, like I say, you know, Gemma and I, we had one plan and then we realized that both of us were tired. So you can always be open to changing that later on. When you were first getting Iona back to sleep, mm. how did it make you feel like being in that paternal caring mode that like I never, I don't really remember my own dad doing that. Mm. I've occasionally seen photos of other dads doing it, but I'd never really seen a just the way I grew up. Yeah. Uh, and probably a lot of guys from our generation, it just yeah. wasn't the done thing. I loved it. I mean, I, I was probably uh, moving into, you know, they tell you not to fall asleep with the baby on your chest or <laughs> don't fall asleep on the couch, but it's so hard not to because you're so tired all the time and it's so comforting. You have this little baby asleep on your chest and you can hear it's breathing and it's going and all that kind of stuff. I loved it. I spent a lot of that time, if Gemma needed a break or if the baby needed to sleep, I would stay awake and let the baby sleep on me. But for me, it was part of that whole bonding oxytocin mm. yeah. exchange, you know, it was just sort of having enough skin on skin time. If, you know, I could do the skin on skin and just let the baby lie on top of me. I think there are photos in that period of time where, you know, I would sit on the couch or even Gemma would sit on the couch and there would be baby and dog. And it was like, the nicest bubble to be in where it was just like just love and family and you just wanted to sort of stay in this mode forever. You just had to make sure you didn't fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> it's the nightmare in Elm Street rules. Don't it, fall asleep. It, it, it really, that is one of the, it's one of the most dangerous things because it's so tempting to fall asleep. You're so comfortable. Baby's in my arms. Everything's going to be fine. But you kind of are on this constant high alert. They do really read you the, not the riot act, but they really- they didn't scare the willies out of me. They just gave me the very stern, listen, yeah. this shit is real. Babies die because their parents fall asleep and lean on them or roll over on them. And or they, drop them. They, or drop them or they asphyxiate them and they wake up, especially if they've rolled over rolled over onto them. Mm. And that stuff is horrifying to, to imagine. That's why I think things like snuggle beds, like little soft beds that you can put beside your bed. So you can have that moment where you're lying in the bed with the baby on your chest and then- if you feel yourself getting drowsy, the baby's asleep, then you can just lean over, put them in the snuggle bed, which they can, you strap them in. So they're swaddled. You put them in the snuggle bed. They, most of them have like some kind of strapping, like ours had a big mm. Velcro Yours strap. Yours is really good. Yeah. And also, you know, you can get them angled as well to deal with acid reflux, which we'll probably get into mm. in, in later episodes. But I think just making it convenient for yourself. So rather than sort of, I'm in the living room and I'm comfortable now, now I'm going to have to get up and go into the nursery. Yeah. When you're going to have that kind of like bonding time, be somewhere where you can easily make the transition for the baby into bed. We figured out a, a feeding technique where we had one of those little snuggle beds that went in between the two of us. Oh, right. Yeah. And it was like a U-shaped pillow, basically, but it had high enough walls that it meant that neither of us could roll over onto him. But it meant that Audrey could roll over and basically feed him with, because the, there's a, a feeding a technique that you can do where the mother lies on her side and, and feeds baby lying down. But he was too high for the downstairs boob but he was just the right height for the upstairs boob. So she would roll over and basically use the upstairs boob because he's now, you know, 20 centimetres off the off the mm. bed and feed him that way. And that way, if Woodry did fall asleep, they're both safe. They're both on their side. It's going to be fine. What we ended up doing, and I would, you know, I, I recommend this because it ended up being quite a lifesaver, literally, is that when Audrey got up to feed, I would put a timer on my phone. He, I remember he took about 10 minutes 12 minutes to feed, hmm. I'd put a 10-minute timer on my phone and that way if either of us fell asleep, when the alarm went off, wake us both up and you go, okay, all right, we're done here, baby's off the boob. And that was really, really handy. Can't imagine what it was like in the old days having to wind an alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, full on. The safe sleep is 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 really really important though. We you know we're talking about how comfortable it is to sit in the sofa, sit in an armchair, but you've also got to be really aware of temperature. We had a thermometer in the bedroom to let us know when baby was- I think most baby stores sell them too. They're like multifunctional mm. clocks that tell the temperature time yeah. and also work got, as a night one. We got given a show bag when we left the hospital. Really? Yeah, like a full-on show bag. It had everything in it. <laughs> it was amazing. And a birdie beetle. And a birdie beetle, but it did have one of those clocks in it. Yeah. We got, yeah, and, and the blue book, the blue book that you need to put fully in um, mm. vaccinations and stuff. So, yeah, not letting your baby get too hot is really important and dressing them p- appropriately for the climate, particularly if you're coming into summer in, in parts of Australia. And there's a rough rule of thumb too, which, you know, obviously is not scientific, but it, as a guide view is it's generally one extra layer than you're wearing to feel comfortable. Yeah. That's the rule of thumb. Yeah. The safest space for your baby to sleep is in the same room as an adult for six to 12 months, the first six to 12 months. That's the safest place because you just, if they're in their own room, look, the research has shown that's the safest place. So when you are bringing baby home, consider that like that's where the baby's bed's going to be, the cot. Mm. What's it called? Crib. Crib. Cot. Bassinet, whatever you want to call it. That's basically where the the baby's going to be. If you can, the other really safe thing uh, is breastfeeding is, is safe. If you can breastfeed, do breastfeed. Audrey, she won't mind me saying this, Audrey stopped being able, the same about the same time with her eldest, about six months, She that's all she could do. And, you know, there's just what her body did and, and that's fine. But uh, some, we go to school now and some of the kids Wolfie goes to school with her are nearly three and wow. they're still getting breastfed. Wow. And it's wild. You know, it's great. But, you know, and I'm sure Audrey would have loved to, but it's got to stop at some point. You don't want to be like that kid from Game of Thrones who's breastfeeding oh in his teens. <laughs> That's when it gets a bit. You got to put your foot down somewhere, right? I actually, I actually had a relative of mine who was breastfed until he was five. He would walk up to the table at lunchtime <sighs> and ask his mum, in perfectly, I can speak full sentences and make rational conversations with grown-ups. Can I have some milk, please, mum? And stand there. And feed, and at one point, everyone just kind of went. I think it's done now. Yeah, we're done. Okay, I think we're done. <laughs> Standing here, yeah, looking me in the eye and joining in in conversation, then going back to the boob. You're like, I mean, time for that to end. Time for that. To end. But that, like, like, hey, whatever you want to do, <laughs> whatever you want to do. I guess the one thing that I'm, I'm sober, but the one thing that's super important to remember is if you've even had the smallest amount of alcohol or any kind of drug that can make you drowsy, like a painkiller or, or a sleeping tablet or whatever, never, ever, ever, ever sleep in the same bed as the baby because mm. you just you just won't – you'll be impaired and you won't be able to know if if you're going to, you know, basically roll Don't into the drink baby. and drowse? Don't drink. You're amazing. Straight <laughs> – look, you've no, got a job. Put on a T-shirt. Put it on a T-shirt, mate. You're incredible. <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> There's a lot of things to consider too around your partner, her post-birth recovery um, because – even if things go well, there'll be, you know, some some bleeding and some body issues. And so there's some things. We got given some advice at the hospital by one of the midwives, which was an absolute godsend. Gemma only had a few minor stitches after the birth. Um, but one of the midwives told us about witch hazel and pads. So you soak and chill uh, a pad with witch hazel. And the relief it brings to the stitched area is fantastic. Other things you might want to think about is because uh, she's breastfeeding now, so that can lead to sore and cracked nipples. So lanolin is your friend. Lanolin, not just a name from Anchorman. (laughs) It's an actual real product, as I found out in the last 18 months. And you can also get cooling packs. Most chemists will send stuff for for the treatment of nipples. You also want to think about fatigue because that's going to be a huge issue. So obviously, you know, we talked in previous episodes about uh, having people bring around food that you can freeze. You want to just make sure that you're not just eating like TV dinners, stuff that's high nutritional value that's not going to be really dense, heavy in carbs. It's going to slow you down. Stuff you can eat one-handed. Oh, yes. Really Uh, important. 100%. Burritos. Full of beans, fiber, vegetables. Yeah, you have to deal with that. But there's going to be a lot of farting going on, as we talked about a lot in season one. So much. Babies fart so much. They fart so much and so loud. Look, I, don't I don't want to fart. rake over old coals, no. but geez, I, I can't get past how loud that is. My baby still farts so loudly. I look at Audrey and be like, was that you? She's like, I'm like, don't blame the baby. She's like, I wish I couldn't. It's the baby. But, but you're right. The fatigue thing is really tricky and you've got to be so careful I mean, you're not going to really be going anywhere too much over the first, you know, four to six weeks, but sleep deprivation is used as a torture device for a reason. 
it's super, super dangerous. And I remember reading, a, back when I worked in radio, I remember reading a survey that mums were doing the school run that have had an interrupted night's sleep from a, a kid under the age of two. Like it's as dangerous as if they were drunk driving. Something along those lines is it, it can impair you that much. Mm. So be really careful about getting behind the wheel. Be really careful about what that sleep deprivation is doing to your ability to make decisions and operate heavy machinery. So no combine harvesting for the first couple of weeks. I always wondered, like, like do not operate heavy machinery. Like, is a car a heavy machine? Is it, like, if it's a Suzuki Swift, is it going to be okay? Like, I don't think a Suzuki Swift counts, but maybe like a, hum, a Hummer. A Hummer? Do they still make those? Yeah, they do. Really? Not for you, though. No. Not for me. But like, are there electric Hummers yet? Pro- oh, they've got ones that look Even like Even if it's them. electric, it's still heavy. Don't operate it. Don't operate it. <laughs> so we're getting sidetracked. Don't, we're getting very sidetracked. Like, oh, but the bloke's next door doing some excavation. I wish <laughs> I could help out. <laughs> Another thing to consider is uh, something that we should be talking about more uh, in general, uh, which is depression, but specifically after childbirth, which is um, postnatal depression, postpartum depression. So- uh, you are going to be feeling fatigued, both you and your wife. So there are some other symptoms to look at to suggest that maybe something deeper is going on. So, you know, that is mood swings, feeling sad, cranky, feeling overwhelmed, a loss of confidence, saying things like the baby better better off without me or better off with someone else and inability to sleep. So there are a lot of resources that you're going to leave the hospital with if this is going to be an issue. But try and remember that there is sort of a difference between sort of like natural fatigue and tiredness and, you know, feeling low energy and depression. The overwhelmingness of suddenly being completely responsible for an utterly helpless human, the human you've you've never been more in love with anything in your life, and then suddenly you are completely responsible for its safety, its nutrition. It can be so intense, so, so intense. And you're absolutely right. Postpartum depression is not only is, is it super important to treat in the moment because, you know, it's going to help you care for the baby and, you know, help your family stay together. Left untreated, postpartum depression can lead to complications, Mm. like really bad complications in in years down the track. Thankfully, there's heaps more we know about it now. There's so much support. And absolutely, those, those key words that you're talking about there, like the baby's better off without me, things like that, they're big red flags mm. and get to a doctor, like absolutely get to a doctor because things can go from bad to horrendous very, very quickly. And it's, yeah. it, but you got to understand, it's not anything to do with your partner's personality or decision she's making. It's a biological shift in her brain yeah. that she is absolutely unable to control. And thankfully, there's heaps of treatment for it. It does happen to men. It's more common in women. And for a lot of women, it's the added pressure of why didn't I, I why don't I feel better about this? You're sort of led to believe that this life-changing moment should be the happiest time in your moment, but they don't feel like that. And I know from a personal experience with friends of mine who have gone through postnatal depression, what they've said to me is it was this tremendous guilt, this guilt that they didn't feel better about it and this sense of, being uh, somehow uh, that they are the exception to the rule, that somehow they don't get what everyone else is getting. What one of my friends found when she did finally get some help and go to a support group is that there's a lot of women who feel like that. And just like with all mental health issues, actually putting your hand up and saying, I think I might have a problem here, that opens the doors to actually getting help. Yeah, and they'll pass. It's not going to be like that forever. It's The thing with these things is they do trick you that, this is how it's going to feel for the rest of your life. You're going to you're going to feel this particular way about this thing for the rest of your life. But with treatment, you won't, and you'll be okay. And there's the, the brilliant thing about this is they didn't accidentally get seven and a half billion people on this planet. People have been having babies for a very long time. <laughs> Someone has experienced the problem you've experienced. Someone else has figured out how to deal with it. Just go and find it out. All right, yeah. we're not writing the rewriting the book here. <laughs> and do you ever look back? At, you'll hear stories about like you know, our parents or our grandparents, and like really stories of parents who were really hardline or harsh or, or had trouble showing affection. And you think that was clearly some kind of like postnatal postpartum depression going on. They're probably undiagnosed yeah, in the same oh, yeah. way that there was a generation of men coming back yeah. from war with PTSD that was undiagnosed. It was just grandpa's a little grouchy or whatever, or he has mood swings. I think all this stuff, we know more, we're learning more and more about it. And the more open we can be about it, the more, uh, the less stigmatized it can be, the better it'll be for everyone, right? Without a shadow of a doubt. I guess the last thing I want to talk about is that for me, bringing baby home was there's this pretty intense first six weeks where baby's unvaccinated, all right? 
because they're just too little to get a vaccination and they're very susceptible to particularly whooping cough. I particularly, me, I was like, I told everybody beforehand. So like, if you want to come and visit the baby, you go and get your jab. <laughs> no, 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 it was none of that. It was like, it was really simple. It was like, it was, it was choice theory. It was like, you can go and get your jab or you can wait until Wolfie's been vaccinated. Yeah. And you live behind the quinoa curtain, so that must have ruled out quite a few people. I do, right? Yeah, the eastern part of Sydney. So, yeah, but thankfully there's not too many people in my intimate circle of friends who don't vaccinate. There are some, but I was able to communicate fairly okay to everybody. Just make sure you're up to date with your shots. And in a, in a way, it was also really quite good because there was people in my life who basically were like, oh, I probably wouldn't have got a flu shot this year you know, because of wanting to come see the baby, I did. And, you know, thanks for that, because otherwise I wouldn't have done it. Um, this is pre-COVID. Thankfully, we all know a lot more about infection protocols and keeping safe and things like that. But you really got to do it, man. You've got to do it. And the, the whole vaccination conversation is, you know, that's, I'm happy to have it. If, if, if you want to have it, it's a very short one. It's, it's science, it works. And it's the reason that we're all sitting here <laughs> and not dying of polio. <laughs> Or whooping cough, because and I've watched, I've seen video of like a four-week-old baby with whooping cough. Man, watching a four-week-old little girl try to breathe, it's just horrendous, horrendous. And the thing is, Charlie, for decades that never happened. Decades it didn't happen, and then it started to happen again in the eighties, eighties and nineties. And it's just, there's no need for it. There's no need for it. So you're going to have to have a chat with your the immediate family, people who are going to want to come around. And obviously we're like way more sharp now because of COVID. But like just if you've had gastro or if you've got a cold, you've got a flu, the stakes are so much higher now. Just yeah. don't come around. On that, uh, I had a friend come around within that six weeks bubble who was completely fine and healthy. But the first thing you want to do, and this will happen a lot, is you wanted to kiss the baby and we – literally had to grab him by the head and say, no, 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 no. Like you appear to be well, but who knows? Like what you've been speaking to, did you get the bus here, whatever? Don't kiss the baby. So just grandma, grandpa, uncles, aunties, they're all going to want to get like face deep with the baby and give them kisses just for that first six weeks. Just a bit of distance, just a bit of social distance, please. And you know what the best part is? You get to go, Oh look, we're just so tired. Can we just leave it a couple of days? You get to, you get to. Oh, it's the best. It's the use best. Use your baby as an excuse to get out of everything. Yeah. Next eighteen years. Yeah, <laughs> it's the best. It's the absolute best. I tell you what was wild. Six days after Wolfie landed in our place, the pediatric nurse that the state sends around, basically to do a, essentially a welfare check, mm. to make sure that you actually are capable as a parent. They redid the weight, they redid the height, they redid and how much he'd grown and gained weight in the last six days was mind-blowing. But the thing that really completely bent my melon was she held him up by the hand, stood him up, and then leaned him forward, and at six days old, he took steps. Yeah, wow. The walk reflex. She goes, yep, walk, walk reflex is there. I'm like, what? What? Shit? what? <laughs> we're born with that? Oh, yeah, yeah, you were born with that. Yeah, it just takes us a while to figure out how to make the muscles work. <laughs> just amazing, man. It was amazing. Charlie, a very special guest dad for today is a man who was so inspired by a dad pod, he's named his new stand-up show after us with only one consonant changed. Nick Cody, dad bod, is uh, <laughs> all over the Adelaide Fringe, heading the Gold Coast and then the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Very happy to have him on the show today. Dad of one, soon to be dad of two, from Fifi, Fev and Nick. Fev and Nick. In Fox FM and one of my favorite podcasts in the world, Midflight Brawl. Nick Cody, welcome to the show. Guys, thanks so much. And I'll be honest, I did want to call it Dad Pod, but I think there must have been an autocorrect in the email. I was just going to flat out steal your name. But, well, uh, we, we stole out the name of our show from another podcast. <laughs> we just checked how many downloads it had recently, and it seemed to be pretty, pretty dormant. So we thought, we're, we're safe here. Yeah, they hadn't posted an episode since 2012. We thought, yeah, we're good. <laughs> we're good here. Congratulations, mate. Another one on the way. How's that feel? At the start of July, I think I'm a lot more prepared this time than I was last time. Last time, I well, I was just touring as a stand-up comic. It was before I was doing any brekkie radio, so I was sort of away eight or nine months of the year. And, yeah, I thought it was going to be one of those things where a baby comes into your life and you just keep living how you were living and everything's going to be great. And I tried that for about a year and almost lost everything. 
So I've changed my ways and uh, having a much better time now. Well, Nick, I'm just going through a, a moment right now with my daughter, Iona, who's uh, 18 months, where she's screaming at me constantly for good and for bad. Everything is just a scream. She communicates exclusively in screams. Yeah, that'll pass. My son's two and a half. And yeah, there was definitely a stage where he loved to yell or he figured out the, the power that a yell carries. It was like, if I do this all the time, everyone stops and listens, but it, uh, it, it will pass. We've been chatting today about the moment, like when you bring the baby home, when you have that moment where you suddenly go, you're out of the hospital, you're back from the maternity ward or, or wherever, and you're like, oh, fuck, what do I do now? Like, do you remember the first time you brought baby home? Yeah, I do, and I argued with my wife about this, which you shouldn't do because you're automatically losing. But um, <laughs> it was <laughs> I wanted to get home straight away. I wanted to get home straight away, get into it, because I feel like in the hospital you're living in a fake world. Like, it's got to end. Get me out of the dream. Yeah. Get me into reality. And um, I got my license just before our son was born Brilliant. because my wife said, I'm not going to the hospital in an Uber. <laughs> so I remember the drive out because there's everybody's telling you it changes the world, and which it does, obviously, and it's the most incredible thing, which it is, and seeing it person give birth is insane and it's awesome and all of that stuff but and I just needed something to rattle me from that and I remember leaving the women's hospital car park with my baby boy in the back and my wife in the uh, back seat with him and uh, I remember there was a guy at the traffic lights just eating a dim sim (laughs) and it looked like he just couldn't give a shit with what was going on in life and (laughs) it really made me laugh going all right no no world's still turning yeah people still doing their thing We've just got a baby. Let's go. So of all the first time things that you do once a baby's born, what was the first thing that tripped you up? For me, it was loading the baby capsule into the back of the car at the hospital. I thought, off to a pretty bad start here. I could not remember how to put the capsule in. Did you have anything that tripped you up straight away? Yeah, straight away. So uh, my wife and one of her best friends, they gave birth on the same day, same hospital, about three doors down. Wow. From each other. Crazy. So... Her husband, Noah, and I, on the, the first night, babies are born, and Gemma and my wife, Lucia, wanted to hang out together. And so Noah and I went out for some beers and watched the prelim final. And I reckon that was a big trip up. <laughs> yeah. I, that was a, I think that was a test. I failed terribly. <laughs> I don't even like Collingwood. I actually despise them. And I went and watched them. <laughs> At a point, we came back in and the nurse is like, here they are, a couple of fathers of the year candidates. <laughs> When the midwives are throwing you under the bus on the way back into the maternity ward, you know that you've only got like 10 more steps before it all goes downhill. But I, you know what? I've never actually put a baby seat in the car because I'm so terrified of getting it wrong mm. that it's like when it got installed, it was baby bunting. When we got a new car, took it a baby bunting. But there's some things I'll, I'll have a crack, but there's certain things like that. I just go, surely there's somebody who does this for a job. <laughs> well, I don't, know, I don't know what you're like, but I'm the kind of person who, when I'm given instructions on anything, I will nod as if I'm understanding everything clearly. And I remember when Iona was born and the nurse was giving me the swaddling instruction and I was there nodding. Oh. But in my head, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. I'm not going to remember any of this. What was your swaddling technique like? Swaddling was good. We, oh. we referred to our baby as a kebab, like a kebab, but yeah but a kebab and uh, went pretty tight. I was lucky in the way that when I was 18, my dad made me take a job as a nanny and I traveled around Australia with the the Australian Shakespeare Company. Two of the actors in the play were husband and wife. They had two sons, 10-year-old and a two-year-old. So with the just turned two, it was changing nappies, getting used to screaming, getting punched in the throat when you're trying to have a nap, all that stuff. So the nappies and everything, I was fine with the swaddling. We We'd done uh, a bunch of parenting classes in the lead up to it, but I just had a couple of little things that I think made it easier. Yeah. That experience of knowing how to change a nappy beforehand. And it's told the soon to be parents or whatever, the poo doesn't smell when they're new. That's mm. fine. It's when they get to solids, you've got months to wait before it gets yeah. really gnarly. The, yeah. I thought the swaddling was almost like a cheat code. 
when it came to time to swaddle, here's this crying, screaming child, mm. and then, no, 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 just wrap it up like a burrito, yeah, uh, yeah. little baby burrito, nice and tight. They can't get dogged by the, st- the startle reflex. They go, oh, I'm back in the womb. This is fine. Yeah, Osh was good at it. Like, I remember, because Osh, uh, Wolfie was born like a month before Iona, and I remember coming around and Osh showing me, and he was so relaxed about it. And again, like the nurse, I sat there nodding and smiling. But you going, didn't pay attention that I can't, time Well, either? the problem is I have these short, stubby Irish fingers, right? They're not good. I can't swaddle. Like, Jen was amazing at it. Every time I would get halfway through a swaddle, she'd be looking at my shoulder, just shaking her head and tutting. It's like, all right, fine. Take your elegant, long fingers and you do the swaddling. My hands are good for digging things and smashing things. That's it. <laughs> Two very useless things when it comes to a newborn child. But... Uh, <laughs> I um I also remember too, and he still. Ha- I think our son, his his name's Charlie. He um he's named after you, obviously. Yeah, of course. Um, he has slept through once. He's two and a half. Right. Oh so fuck. We've got a horrendous sleeper. Good day napper. Horrendous sleeper. And I actually, it's hard to remember a lot from that time because two and a half months after he was born, I got a brekkie radio job, and so it went from no sleep to. Even more no sleep. So it's pretty cloudy. <laughs> Negative sleep. Yeah, people don't really quite – I mean, they, people talk a lot about the sleep and the sleep is hard, but the you can always do it. Like you're not going to not be able to do it. Mm. You you can yeah. always wake up and change a nappy. You can always wake up and make a bottle, feed a baby. You can, you can always do it. But yeah. a month will pass and you'll go, I have no idea what any conversation I had for the last month was about. You, your short-term yeah. memory just goes out the window and you could have had – Agreed to plans to get you find yourself on picnics going. I don't remember saying yes to this, but here I am. I, I remember one morning coming back from Brecky Radio, and my wife said, Hey, can you get petrol on the way home? I said, Yeah, of course. Pulled up in the driveway at home, her and my little baby boy are out the front. I said, Shit, forgot petrol. <laughs> Drive back to the petrol station, try and fill it up. I don't know what something's broken. And over the speaker, the guy said, You were just here. What are you doing? <laughs> I'd already filled it up. <laughs> Oh, this is fucking full. Why do we need petrol? This thing's rammed with petrol. <laughs> Did you and your wife have any agreed to plan for night feeding? Like, was it was it a case of, you know, the baby wakes up, you'll get up, maybe change a nappy, get her comfortable? Or did you just sort of like... In, in my house, it was Gemma was like, look, no no point is both being tired. When she wakes up, I'll feed her. But in the morning, you can do the bulk of the nappy changing, all that other kind of stuff. Did you have a similar kind of arrangement? I think nighttime it was just nappy related. I'd do a bit. And the problem was, again, the first few months of this, I was still on the road a bit. So I'd help as much as I could. But then when Brecky Radio started, my wife didn't – we didn't use a bottle for a, a long time. Mm-hmm. So I can't get her breast out and feed the baby. That's She's got to do that. I can do nappy stuff. And what I like about it, you just get to do a lot of other jobs. Yes. It's quite exciting to just turn up and – what do you need? What do you need a hand with? Because I don't, you know, they, they tell you the parents are equal at the very start, but I don't think the baby likes you as much as mum, which is fair enough. Yeah, that was really hard for me to uh, deal with. Yeah. I remember talking to Charlie about this. Is you want to be liked. I wanted, I, wanted to be able, yeah. I wanted to be able to settle him. I wanted order to be able to sleep yeah. and I wanted to be able to go, it's cool, I got this, it's fine. And then there was this horrible moment when I realised, I'm just not secreting the pheromones that she does that go, everything's cool, mum's here. I'm just like, no, you're not the one that feeds me. Go away. Where's the one that feeds me? And I just had to, my little ego got really upset and she had to basically tap me on the shoulder with a bleary face going, he's not going to settle until I hold him, so just go to bed. Well, I'm all all for equality, but that's not blokes pushing that, is it? Like, I think blokes understood for ages that they're not the ones that I wanted at the start. And it was like in our suburb as well, it was parents group come down a parents group and I said to my wife are you sure and she said yep parents group progressive now everyone and I turned up and it was fucking 20 mums and me and uh they didn't want to hear my problems <laughs> did you think about what did you and Lich talk at all about I mean I know that you you're all deep with people who are thick in the Facebook groups of the lizard people did you have any chats about I was trying to go for a spit take there uh, <laughs> did you because we had to lay the hard line on a few people for not coming over to visit in the first six weeks. We were like, if you're going to come, we're almost like no jab, no play. Yeah. What was your line there? Yeah, I'm I'm a lot more blunt 
My wife has more of those friends, people that charge crystals and stuff outside. None of my friends will do that. They're grubs in other ways. Like, bro, did she happen to get oxies? Can we have some? But, <laughs> <laughs> but at least they're all vaccinated. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there's some people you've just got to say no to. And uh, our doctor worded it. What She must have just figured out pretty quickly what my personality type was. And she said, hey, guess what? You get to be a security guard for your wife and son. I was like, yes, yes. You just get to... Tell certain people to piss off and let others in. It's quite nice. Listening to you two, I'm starting to think that maybe Gemini weren't that popular because we did not have to deal with any of that. <laughs> there was no one coming to visit us. No one we had to keep away in that first six weeks. We are pretty much well left alone, yeah. Well, lucky you had the baby before you moved to the Northern Rivers, mate, because it would have been oh, yeah, much <laughs> just different. the same. Yeah. Well, just the 5G. The 5G would have got to it. <laughs> I'll tell you what I wish they would tell uh, friends of people that have recently had a baby, and that is... We don't fucking need lasagna, all right? There's no need to carb load. I'm going nowhere. I need some greens. I still haven't taken a shit. My son's two and a half. There's so much lasagna. There's still some in the freezer. I can't get rid of it. Everyone dropped off lasagna. I, I appreciate it, but I'm not on a bike. I'm not doing a triathlon. I'm sitting with a baby. It's a bit hard to freeze a salad though, Nick. <laughs> we'll eat it. We'll just eat it. I'm all lasagna. As you as you're lining up for bub number two, I mean, no, no two pregnancies are the same. No two kids get the same set of parents. You know, everyone's different every time. As you're lining up for the second pregnancy, is there anything that you'd like to do differently this time as you're coming into particularly the last few weeks and and pre-labor and labor? I'm not drinking and I'm not going anywhere for two uh, six weeks before the baby's due the best bit this time is that i think it's going quicker in the way that because there's a two and a half year old running around you don't have time to just sit there together and overthink things because it's you know fuck he's got matches so (laughs) we're busy so it's going quicker but i also feel bad for my wife in the way that she's lucky she doesn't get morning sickness or anything like that but it's general watching a two and a half year old tiredness plus building another baby at the same time fatigue so that's not great she can't have coffee i that has to be the worst bit for people that are pregnant no coffee i'm on number seven i'm flying and you know what, Charlie? Coffee isn't free, neither are baby clothes. So help Nick Cody contribute to the Nick Cody Childhood Feeding Fund. Go and see his new show. It's called Dad Pod. Uh, no, it's can, not. It's called Dad Bod. No, we're called Dad Pod. <laughs> Fuck. It's called Dad Bod. Yeah. It's called Dad Bod. He's in Adelaide, Goldie, doing the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Ten shows there. Check him out in Perth. He's also doing the Sydney International Comedy Festival. And um, also check out his podcast, Mid-Flight Brawl, that he does with Luke Heggie. Cody, uh, it's nearly four o'clock on a Friday, and I can't believe you stayed up this late to talk to us. So um, <laughs> you fucking legend. Thank you so much. Thanks, mate. You know what I love about this podcast? It's three blokes that have actually left parenting to talk about it yeah. and now i get to go back to my family and go sorry guys i was just talking about parenting what's happening in here who's got the matches <laughs> if you do want to send us an email it's pretty simple ask dadpod at gmail.com that's where we are it's pretty easy this one came in from jay Uh, I'm just going to anonymize Jay here, but I think it's important to have this conversation. I'll just read it out loud, Charlie. Uh, Hey, Dadpod, love the show. Something I thought might be interesting to discuss about birth is the different reactions that fathers can have. I remember in series one, you both mentioned an overwhelming feeling of love and protection almost immediately. That's the most common narrative. I didn't have this reaction at all. Actually, the opposite. There was no release of emotions or endorphins at the birth. I didn't feel anything. There were serious complications during the birth, both with my son and my wife causing enormous distress. The following weeks of no sleep and a screaming infant caused me to resent my son, Mm. even feeling hatred at times. He'd turned up and just fucked up our lives and I didn't feel anything that could have given some balance because I wasn't feeling what I've been told I should feel. This put me into a deep depression. In retrospect, I probably should have spoken to a mental health professional. It took about six months before I felt anything, and it was mostly because it became possible to interact with my son. He wasn't just a clump of meat that screamed. I did some research and reading, and it seems that this is more common than you might think, but it never seems to be discussed. And you're absolutely right on two fronts. Yes, it's more common than you might think, and yes, you probably should have spoken 
to a mental health professional. I can totally understand where he's coming from. 100% like. understand that. Like I was talking to a couple of mates the other day about it, which is like there are periods in which Iona is screaming at me where I don't know what I'm doing, where you just do get that rush of adrenaline, which is like you just want to like scream back or, or, or you're just so resentful. And I think that, you know, the difference here is that I had the balance of there are moments like when she's so sweet and so wonderful and just so full of love that accounts for the times where I'm feeling completely stressed out and resentful. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, uh, it's a shame that you felt like you were the only one feeling that or you couldn't get help sooner. And, you know, to go back to that earlier point about we need to have more of these discussions because I think that you, that guilt and that shame is such a powerful emotion. Uh, you know, this sense that there's something wrong with me because I'm feeling this thing when in all of us, there is light and there is dark, you know, and sometimes those dark feelings get a, get a hold of us, but yeah, you shouldn't feel like there was anything deficient or wrong with you. And you, it sounds like what you were talking about before in the, in the show was that, you know, postpartum depression can affect men as well. I mean, what Jay's written in here sounds mm. pretty much like that's what might have been going on to read it out loud, for you to hear it on the podcast, you're listening to like, yeah, there's clearly something going on. But when you're in it, it feels 100% real. Yeah. And it feels like I totally understand why there would have been resentment or as he describes, hatred. This thing came along and fucked up my life. Yeah, if you have those feelings, mate, it just starts with a conversation with your GP. Mm. That's what it starts as. And, and we talked about this in previous episodes. If you are expecting, I personally... This is just my my vibe, because only because it worked really really well for me. Because I was terrified. Mm. Just go and talk to a psychologist. Get you, a tune up. That's what I call it. Get a tune up. Yeah, get a yeah. tune up. You have no idea what's going to come to the surface. You know, there's no. there's nothing like stress to make something that's been bubbling under the surface to suddenly erupt, explode uncontrollably into reality. And now you've got to deal with this massive pimple that's burst all over your relationship. If you can just kind of address those things and just keep, at least just keep an eye out for them beforehand, it can be really, really powerful. Um, I totally understand. I've heard this exact story from someone quite close to me who they were almost, they were terrified to say it to me. They mm. whispered it to me. And we were, you know, we were in public and they whispered it to me. It's like, I couldn't stand it until it could look at me in the eye. Mm. And that's when I started to fall in love with him. But I didn't want to know. And I, I get that. I understand that it, it's something that happens inside our brains and mm. it's nothing to be ashamed of, but it is something to take care of. And it is because it could cause far more problems. I can't imagine the pressure it put on this person's wife. Mm. Can't imagine the pressure it put on the, the initial bonding phases. Would have been really tough. And it's also the added pressure of, I imagine that he was hiding this from his partner oh, yeah, or man. his friends. And so you're living this double life where you're pretending oh, everything's God, fine, but inside yeah. you have this internal debate happening constantly, you know, and if it, Jay, if it makes you feel any better, like, I do swing between those raging feelings of like, you know, full of love and then full of just like, a lot of it is to do with like my own issues of kind of inadequacy and guilt and all this kind of stuff. But those feelings are completely natural. I just hope that you've found some help, but also mm. that, you know, you're finding some balance with the parenting thing because, you know, I think we all understand that it's never going to be smooth sailing the whole way, but those highs can be so wonderful, you mm. know, and the joy you get and just that love you get. I'm, I'm hoping you're feeling some of those feelings because it's totally, totally worth it. And, and if anyone's listening is experiencing something similar to what Jay's told us, absolutely. Just there's, there's no shame in going to sort it out. In fact, it's an act of strength to go and figure this out. You know, you wouldn't pop your family in the car and, and drive from Brisbane to Rockhampton if the front left wheel was not working. Mm. You wouldn't be like, come on, it'll be fine. You'd be like, hang on, man. I've got to get this sorted before I go and do this really dangerous thing, <laughs> driving at 100 kilometers an hour for 10 hours. No, no, no. You're about to do this thing. That's the most intense thing you'll ever do in your life, which is witness the birth of your child and then try to keep it alive for the yeah. next 20 years. And it's also stressful, man. It is, man. It is so stressful. Like the, the, the lack of sleep, the constant noise, it's definitely, it's not like a reciprocal relationship no, to not. begin with. It's just take, 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 take. And it can be overwhelming. I think the other thing to keep in mind is everything changes and you yeah. do get used to it. So those feelings and that emotion and that situation, as intense and overwhelming as it may feel, it does eventually change because the baby changes and the older they get, the faster those changes seem to happen as well. Yeah. So, Jay, look, thanks so much for writing to us so we could talk about that. Really grateful to hear your perspective. And no, mate, 
you're not alone because like I said, you know, Charlie's got a mate that's been through this. I've got a mate that's been through this. You're certainly not alone. And thanks for writing. And certainly if you're feeling something similar, go and get help. Osh, it's come to that part of the show where we induct a fictional dad into the dad pod hall of fame. And this year, as we've discussed in previous episodes, we're focusing on father figures as opposed to biological fathers. And so I thought I would talk about a mutant. Perfect. <laughs> Today. He's uh, he's known by many names, but in his most recent incarnation, they used his actual name, which is Logan. Oh, yes. Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, James Logan. I don't know if they ever they acknowledge his first name. I think it is James Logan, but let's just call him Logan. Uh, the best of the Wolverine films, the last one, in which he is a sickly old man who can't even pop a claw <laughs> without it hurting, who is entrusted with the care of a young mutant called Laura, a homicidal young mutant <laughs> called Laura. She beheads a henchman. She can climb walls. But uh, he's entrusted with her and he finds that even though he never had kids of his own, even though I guess he was a like a mentor to the Charles Xavier's uh, School of the Gifted, he finds himself caring for this child. And that is brought to life on the screen by Australia's other dad, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if Kate Blanchett could be our mum and he could be our dad, then I well, think Australia would be in good stead. It'd be fine, would right? would be just fine. We'd be absolutely fine. As someone who used to read the comic books, I remember when they cast Hugh Jackman, I'm like, he's about a foot and a half too tall yeah. to be Wolverine. About six feet too tall, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> the actual Wolverine in the comics Yeah, is- Bob Hoskins would have been a better Wolverine. <laughs> He's, he's more sideways. He's more Iron Sheik kind of sideways in muscular, not tall and muscular. But, hey, I'll take it. One of the most impressive acting feats of Hugh Jackman in that film, Logan, is that you believe that this guy is a curmudgeonly unlikable yeah. loner. Yeah. The most charming, entertaining man in the entire planet. Incredible. You believe it. Yeah. You believe that he finally, he lets down his guard so that this little half Mexican, half mutant girl who can also pop claws, that he can let her into his heart yeah. and die with dignity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right. That is Oscar worthy right there. The, the man we know as the nicest man on the planet made us believe that he actually, it was all an act. Yeah. He like, hates kids. Fuck all can't of you. Can't stand anyone. <laughs> fuck all I can't of- sing and dance. <laughs> That's all pretending. I'm just a murderer. I'm just a bloodthirsty <laughs> berserker murderer. So Logan, aka Wolverine, Dad Pod salutes you. <laughs> That's amazing. Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode. Thank you very much, Nick Cody, for being a part of the show. Get out there, support his live gig because babies need shoes. Thanks for supporting <laughs> this show. We're really grateful that you're a part of it. Episode four. Mate, we're, we're almost we're, halfway through season three. We're nearly, we're almost halfway through Two dads have entered, but no dad so far has left. It's a fairly <laughs> even contest inside the dad Thunderdome. <laughs> I've just reached for the chainsaw stuck to the wall. You're bouncing around on your bungee cord. <laughs> Angry Anderson's in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> just another day at the office. Just another day in the dad pod universe. Thanks for being a part of it. If you want to find us on Instagram. You can go to dad pod gram. We are also, if you want to send us an email like uh, Jay did this week, you can email us at... Ask Dad Pod Thank you. at gmail.com. Until then, thanks for listening. Go to bed. <laughs>